Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? I'm both well and well hydrated. I'm donating blood after the radio this morning. Oh, and so Because okay. it's early in the morning. I'm just one of those people that needs to drink a lot. So last night I was like, must be hydrated. Woke up at five. I was like, must be hydrated. <laughs> You've got a huge bottle of water I see beside you. How oh, much yeah, have you drunk already? I have like already? another two litre in the car. Uh, um, uh, this morning... I've probably only drunk about 500 mils this morning, which isn't heaps. Yeah, I think I drank more than that. I drank probably a litre last night before I went to bed. I had four glasses this morning. How much is that? I'll go, um, look, I don't know. Okay, well, we will see what we can come up with. We will see what we can find out. So four glasses, about a litre. About a litre, that's pretty good. So I've yeah. drunk twice as much as you have, no. and I'm not giving blood. Go you. Well done, you <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I was also eating breakfast in the car and I don't like to eat and drink at the same I mean, I sometimes do. Yes. But I was like, no, I just need to eat. And then I was like, wait, no, I must drink. Anyway, it'll be fine. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good and I'm going to be feeling good all day. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that was I'm, such a flat, I'm feeling good. So, yeah, yeah, well, I'm just sort of, um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling kind of lame right now because you're going out and giving blood and that's <laughs> kind of one of those things that I'm, I just... Don't have the constitution to do. No, but that's all right. Is, yeah, not everybody can do it. So I'm super glad that you are. Yeah. No. Well, they they send, it's actually really good. They send me emails because I have like O negative, which can go to everyone. Oh, so, you've got the golden blood. Yeah. So they're like, we need you, and I'm like, thanks for the email. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just forget, you know, like three months goes quick. Sure. But quickly. Good we age. had a previous co-host here who had O negative. Hey. And used to uh, get regular emails and regular yeah, go and give blood. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, the one. Well, there we you go. Need- That's what I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful that my blood can be helpful for someone somewhere in Australia. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so have, let's have some uh, positively different news. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, COVID has been a thing this year. I've had a lot of stories where people are sharing and giving and doing all the things. Um, but a recent story was, have you heard of the Venmo challenge? Venmo challenge. No, I don't even know what that means. But anyway, there's a viral no. challenge that's going around, I think, on social media. Um, and basically, it's asking people – it's like you put a thing out. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, it's you put a thing out and you try to get people to even donate like 50 cents from all your social media. Uh-huh. And you have a goal that you want to reach. Yes. And then you're going to go and give it to someone, um, like tip them at a restaurant or something. So in the US, you know, okay. where tipping is a lot bigger, you know. Yep. Anyway, so the restaurant industry industry has been hit pretty hard this year, and so a local waiter, Peter, his name is, he was like super excited to get back to work. This other fella, Brian, who is participating in this Venmo challenge, decides that he wants to raise a thousand dollars, and so you know people donate like fifty cents a dollar, ten dollars, I don't know how much they want to donate. He ends up getting fourteen hundred dollars. So he goes to this place, and I was actually watching the video, and I just it made me so happy. So, you know. The guy says to Brian explains to me that he's like, Hey, I don't know if you've heard of this challenge. And the guy's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, So we pick you, essentially. And the guy's like, Oh, yeah, cool. He's like, Yeah, so um, we raised $1,000. <laughs> Whoa. Peter just walks away. <laughs> he's just like, What? Anyway, obviously he comes back because, like, that's hard. Like, it's such a gift, but it's, it can be a bit hard to process. Anyway, yes. So, yeah, the waiter just walked away and then he's like, Okay, I better come back. <laughs> Yes, you better come back. <laughs> this um, is going to be the tip of a lifetime. Yeah, and anyway, so he gets this tip and 
he's just like, oh man, I can't believe this. Like I can pay my rent next month and maybe put some money aside. Actually, that's a very exciting thing. Like I think as an adult, you don't realize how good it is to not have to worry about your rent. Like as a kid, you're like, Ugh, rent. But once I'm an adult, I'm like, oh, don't have to worry about this. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then what I love is from this, um, Brian was thrilled by the outcome. He's like, let's do this more. <laughs> so he started another one. Okay. Yeah. And how far did he go with his next one? So I think he just started it. Okay. Yeah, so this only happened recently. But I, I used to listen. There's a spoken word poem I really love, and there's this one section that says something along the lines of, oh, I can't remember now. It's basically um, that people will go out of their way to do good. Mm-hmm. Like we don't in, we don't hurt each other on purpose. It's, it's normally accidents or afterthoughts, which isn't entirely true. Like I think humans can be very self-centered. Absolutely. But I... I do think that a lot of times we want to do good by people. Yeah. We don't often think outside of ourselves to see that the implication of our choices on them, but I think if it's a conscious decision, more often than not, we don't want to go out of our way to hurt people. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. So that's, anyway, the, that's the work of the Holy Spirit on every, per, every person's heart. Absolutely. Christian or not. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Anyway, so I was like, ah, well done you, Brian. Yeah. Go that's, for it. Yeah, that's I'm glad fantastic. you had a good day, Peter. Oh. <laughs> Um, anyway, another story. So in the United States, again, there is a company called the American Girl Dolls. So they're just like dolls for kids to play with. Um, but they recently started a Heroes with Heart contest. So basically in, in June, they started um, up a new line that they were trying to encourage. What's it called? Um, they wanted to inspire admiration for medical workers. So, you know, they brought out all this doll stuff, which was like, you know, your scrubs and your masks and all the things. And so then they running, they ran this contest um, to bring out five new dolls that are likened to um, an actual, like someone who's in the field. Okay. And so this young girl, uh, who named it? Lacey. So, so Lacey's auntie is a paramedic and... Her name's April, and she got COVID. But then once she recovered, she's gone back to work. And Lacey just thinks, like, she's the coolest, she's the best, she's done all things. So she sends an application in for her aunt. She's like, my auntie's the best. Like, Anyway. As you do, why yeah, not? That's right. And so she ends up winning one of these things. So a doll has been made kind of resembling her. She's got the outfit and the hair and all the things. And um, Okay, so- I just have to stop right there, Minnie, and, and, and just ask this question. If this was doll, if a doll was made, you know, a commercial doll was made as a resemblance of you. It kind of terrified me, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered about that. I wondered about "Mm." that. But I think, I guess it was special because for April, so they um, sent a photo of Lacey. So Lacey got, the niece got sent this doll that was made. and they sent April a video of her opening it, and she was like, "Oh, I cried! Like my niece is so beautiful!" And like, and that would be very special. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's only five of these. Oh no, I think different characters. So five different. So not so five, five people from each character. Yeah, from different professions, yep. I believe. Yep. Yeah, um, but I think what's cool. I mean, look, some people are like oh, dolls are useless toys. They probably are. I don't remember playing with dolls as a kid. I like had other toys. But I can appreciate when people are trying to go, hey, let's respect this thing. Like, if you're going to use something, like, let's have something that you can look up to, like a profession that you can go, oh, well done you, you know? Yes, absolutely. And it's important to, I think, you know, to highlight the work of the heroes and those who work hard to make our Mm. community a better place. What worries me is the number of heroes that we've had in the last 12 months because the more (laughs) heroes you are having, then the bigger crisis you've got and, you know, 
As I've said it before, our farmers were our heroes this time last year as they're surviving the drought. Then our fireys were our heroes as they were putting the fires out. Mm -hmm. Then our SES were our heroes as they were tackling the floods. Then our medical workers were our heroes as they were, um, you know, dealing with COVID. Mm. And these are all people, you know, police, etc. We need to have dolls of all of these people that are such (laughs) heroes, but... It'd be kind of nice if we had a few less heroes because heroes are revealed in times of crisis. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you think it ever can um, – I don't want to say it causes problems. Do you think it can ever be not so positive an impact when we do only pick out the certain stories? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that there's a, there's a time and a place for everyone to be a hero. Mm. Heroes – are always heroes. Mm-hmm. We only just get to see that fact some of the time when yeah. there's a crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they are, you know, truly always heroes. And so there are a lot of heroes. We have no idea whether they, mm. you know, that they are heroes because they've never been in a time of crisis to ha- actually have, have revealed? that revealed. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, very good. Well, I'm going to bring some stories about heroes in just a moment. Brilliant. Because Australia has just handed out their Bravery Award. So it's going to go very, very well with your story. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Talking about heroes, there were two men who set out for uh, nights fishing on Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. Um, just in a tinny. And ended up rescuing a whole bunch of people and attempting to rescue a whole bunch more when two boats collided in the middle of the harbour at high speed. Oh. And... I think six people died. There were a bunch of people that were injured. And they kind of spent their whole evening there pulling people out of the water, survivors out of the water, performing CPR on others, trying to bring them you know, back to life. There were some really, really horrific injuries um, that you know we would not want to describe here on radio that mm. took place. And so they just got bravery awards for that. Amongst a whole bunch of other bravery awards, that time of year when bravery awards are being handed out, Tyler Holmes Cross and Zeb Critchlow were in Marion Bay, Tasmania, when a fishing boat was overturned and they had access to a jet ski. So obviously they jumped on the jet ski and went flying out there, which, okay, that was... You know, probably not the end of the world. You've got uh, two meter waves that were actually breaking over the fishing boat. The fishing boat was upside down. They rescued two men out of the water, took them to another boat and were then informed that there was a third person. And this is where it gets interesting because they went back to the upturned boat that did have breaking waves breaking over it. They swam underneath of that boat. There's fishing gear, there's nets, there's fuel tanks, there's oil and fuel and everything else in the water. They went under there twice. They took a turn each to go under there. And, it's, of course, it's pitch dark because there's mm. no light getting under there. You can't see anything. They've got to hold their breath um, to try and find the third person. So they got the – unfortunately, the third person had been washed away and was mm. somewhere else. He wasn't under the boat and did, and, and did drown. But they just got bravery awards. And, of course, this is Tasmania. Yeah, that'd be cold. That is freezing Uh cold. Um, So, yeah, well done and congratulations to both of them. The person who got the highest award, which is the Star of Courage, that's the highest award that we hand out in Australia, uh, was a 13-year-old girl by the name of Ruth uh, Darakay in the Northern Territory. And she saved another 12-year-old girl from a man 
who was trying to murder this girl with a machete. So she stepped in unarmed. Now, this individual later went on to attack two police officers. Both of them were seriously injured and he ended up being shot to death. So just a really, really violent encounter and a 13-year-old girl steps in. So that's just, you know, when you, these are people whose names need to be mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, As we said, we are surrounded by heroes. We just don't know that they're heroes, and a lot of them don't know that they are heroes either because the crisis hasn't arrived in which they, their hero status is revealed. Yes. Crisis doesn't produce heroes, it reveals heroes. Mm. Uh, Callum Hall was uh, posthumously awarded for trying to rescue a friend from an oncoming train, so we don't know the whole story there and why his friend was on the tracks and why he uh, tried to perform this rescue, but both of them died in that one, unfortunately. Then we have, uh, locally to us here in the Newcastle area, we have Billy Eats, who was surfing amongst a group of surfers when a four-metre great white shark attacked. There was another surfer who was in the attack. The attack was so violent that he was launched straight up into the air. He was 62 years old. His board was smashed to pieces. Everybody just, you know, headed for the shore as fast as they could, (laughs) as you do when you're surfing and a shark turns up. It's just like you get out of the water as fast as you can. He paddled the opposite direction. Hmm. Paddled out, got the guy, brought him to shore, performed first aid, kept him alive until the paramedics arrived. Wow. Big effort right there. So, yeah, we've got some heroes uh, around us right now and we need to stop and remember our heroes at times like this. I think it's important to do so. Mm. And, you know, we find that when people are being heroes, they are following in the example of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Mm. I think, you know what... Whether they recognise that or not, that's, Mm. that's, you know, that's the ultimate example we have is someone who gives their life. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's something I really appreciate about this radio like show is because it's just positive, well, not just positive, but it doesn't look at the world through, oh, it's only doom and gloom and woe is us and it's... We know that there is so much calamity happening. Like we know we're not about being naive to that or just being like, no, no, like, la di da <laughs> No, but there's some terrible things no, happening. there's some terrible things. But I think, for me at least, having the perspective of like what you just said, even if people don't know God, there's this thing that God can put in your heart. Yes. Like, and I think seeing the day and seeing the, seeing the world through that lens just inspires hope, like from the start for me. Like, anyway, it's just something I really appreciate. Yeah. Like, these truths, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, go people. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so four tons of hair has been collected here in Australia and shipped off to Mauritius and placed into hair sausages. What, what, what for? What does that mean? <laughs> this just doesn't You're just sound... really worried about yeah, this story. Oh this God, is a know. positively different story. Brilliant. You are worried about this story though, aren't you? It just doesn't hair sound sausages. right. Yeah. Okay, so there's um, on, on July 25, there was a Japanese ship that went aground um, off the coast of Mauritius oh. uh, and is leaking oil like 4,000 tonnes so far. Oh. And a week before it ran aground, uh, the University of Technology Sydney, UTS, discovered that possibly the best uh, thing in the world for collecting oil was hair. Interesting. And so when this ship went aground, they're like, yes, let's put this into practice. And so they have been collecting hair from right across Australia. All of the uh, the barbers and hairdressers have been sending in their hair. 
They have uh, sent 10 tonnes over so far. They put them into these like, giant stockings. They float on top of the water. They soak up all the oil. They have found it to be more effective than chemical dispersants. And, of course, the chemical dispersants, they have their own issues in the yes. ocean as well. You're just adding more chemicals to the ocean. And this one doesn't do so. Of course, the Mauritians themselves, who are pretty cash-strapped, you know, this is a not a wealthy country like Australia is. Yeah have been busily shaving their heads. And so far they have uh, produced 1,500 hair booms that have been placed out there floating in the water to try and deal with all of the oil that is leaking out of these ships. There's been 28 tonnes that has been stockpiled in Australia in case we have uh, an emergency, either in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, And they're, of course, looking at increasing those stockpiles and... Yeah, all that hair that usually gets thrown away is being used and put into something practical. Man, I should collect up. My, my hair just molts like crazy. I go to any friend's house and they're like, oh, we know you've been here because <laughs> everywhere. But there you go. It's useful if I just collected that. That's fascinating though to me. Wait, what do they, what do, they do once it's collected oil? Like they can't just leave it there. I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Story didn't say. Yeah, yeah. But I would assume that, you know, it soaks up. It soaks, and, and there's something that is unique about the follicles and so forth, and there's some mm-hmm. science behind it as to mm-hmm. why hair is so good at doing that. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about hair is that most of us grow it. Yes. And it keeps growing, and so you've got to keep cutting it. And so we've got, you know, it, it is a renewable yeah, resource. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it is a renewable resource. Oh, that's a really cool story. Okay, so in our last minute, I thought we'd have a bit of fun. Okay. Just yes. for the sake of I'm having ready. a bit of fun. No other reason at all than, than you know. We're talking about cakes? Uh, we're going to talk about cakes. Brilliant. So the uh, there was recently a wedding, and the, uh, the, name, the last name of the couple was Wiser. Uh-huh. And so they wanted the Wiser wedding. Um written on their wedding cake, it came back with, why is there a wedding? (laughs) (laughs) Then there was a charity that wanted a uh, picture of Mariah Carey on their wedding cake. It came back with a picture of Marie Curie, who was a famous Nobel Prize winner. (laughs) Then there was a birthday where they wanted the uh, Disney character Moana. Well, it came back with a cannabis leaf on it. Oh, no. For a kid's birthday. So, yeah, not marijuana, but <laughs> just thought I'd share a little bit of fun with you guys this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, and good morning again to your listeners. David, we are super excited to and thankful to have you back again. We understand that you have... Um, had an operation that has been quite painful. At some stage, we'd probably like to actually talk to you about that and talk to you about how does a person deal with pain. And um, you know, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that one next week. Uh, we'll see how happy, we go. Happy to do that. It's still a bit painful to talk about the pain right now. I imagine it would be, yes. Uh, we did speak briefly last week and it was like, yeah, you know what, we'll give David another week to recover. Your voice is still not 100% by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly improving. So we um, we do praise God and we do thank God for that. But it's good to have you back live on the show. Thank you. It is great to be back. and It's great to be able to talk again. Now, David... Um, the subject that we have down for today that we're going to explore is a subject that I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of two minds about talking about this one because we're going to be talking about hoarding and I'm hoping this one doesn't cut a little bit too close to home for me. 
Um, <laughs> I recently moved house, and, and in the six months leading up to moving, I, I, I think I sold $15,000 worth of stuff on Facebook and Gumtree, which I was like, oh. how did I ever collect so much stuff? That is very, very scary. Um, David, let's talk about hoarding. It's very interesting, Lyle, that there is a very close link between uh, – I look at my own garage. There's there's so many stuff that I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to use it sometime in the future I'm on a property, and you don't want to throw it away. And, and therefore, there's a very, very fine line between a hoarder and someone that um, has things in their garage or in their home that they might be able to use later in life. Well, see, I've, but, I've, uh, I've, sorry for butting in. I've never seen myself as being a hoarder. I've always seen myself as being an investor. Yeah. <laughs> My wife doesn't see it the same way. And that is why most people that are, um, affected by hoarding doesn't see themselves as hoarders. All that they realize is that their life, their space is starting to become less and uh, they don't want people in their home. And um, it is when those kind of things get out of control that um, most of the time other people realize that they have got a problem. Right. So I never reached a point where, you know, there was – not places to put things. I guess I had too many places to put things and moving into town I had to to uh, get rid of a lot of stuff. Um, so what you're talking about is problem hoarding where the home starts to become, I guess, unvisitable. The, the difference, you know, you've got collectors, you've got people that um, are collecting specific items, you've got people that um, are holding back on things that they know is of value, which can be used later on, but then you get hoarders that will hoard anything that they perceive as sentimental, uh, things that they feel they can use later in, in life, but things like a wrapping paper, um, even you know the the, the shopping uh, uh, brochures that uh, people pop into your mailing boxes. It is uh, all different kind of stuff. I, I remember working with some of these people going into the home after their mental health became so broken down that they actually wanted to commit suicide. And you're unable to walk really into, uh, you know, you've got to walk single file into that house and you can't see a window. You can't use the bathroom. You can't identify anymore what is of value and what is not of value. If they open up a uh, tin of uh, fish, they actually will um, store even the cap that they have cut off as well as the tin itself. Everything. Mm. is hoarded. They hate landfill uh, because that is possibility of stuff that can um, be used sometime. So our world is wasting. Right. That is definitely problem hoarding. And what is it that drives a person to be a, a hoarder on that level? Well, the link between you and I and them is the fact that uh, it starts off with, you know, things could be of value in the future. It could be used later on. Um, the other reasons are sentimental value, ex um, 
but then eventually um, we see that people put a, uh, a an emotion and as well as their identity are linked to uh, what they are hoarding. In other words, they start to build a relationship. It, if you remove some of their stuff, it is as if a relative had passed away. They also give it human characteristics. So uh, it starts to get personality in the home. And this is where it becomes, uh, you know, a disorder in their life. Where and, and often uh, hoarding be, can become a disorder in its own right or it presents through other disorders. For instance, obsessive-compulsive disorder, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and depression. And sometimes to a lesser degree, there are other uh, things like PICA or dementia that is also identified, uh, linked in with, with hoarding. Now, sometimes we see situations where somebody becomes a hoarder, their property becomes full of rubbish, and the local council steps in with you know some kind of order and actually forcibly removes the rubbish from the property. When that, when that rubbish is forcibly removed, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the person who is suffering from mental illness? It is just a temporary uh, change that happens, uh, but it creates major angst, major anxiety and major stress for them because part of their identity is now suddenly lost. Now, I just want to mention to you, to you and your listeners that our true identity should never be linked in with stuff. It should actually be linked in with our Creator God. Mm, but it, 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 there's a complete distorted focus of where my identity comes and well-meaning family members realizing that council is going to take steps often would come in and try to take the possessions away and um, that actually can break down that relationship and we have seen uh, stories of people that actually uh, boarded themselves in waiting for counsel the, sh- the, the police are eventually called and eventually people have uh, killed themselves uh, in, the, in the process uh, there's far better ways in which we can help such a person and uh, that is to, to help them understand what is psychologically happening for them and help them emotionally address the compulsion that sits behind their the hoarding experience. Um, it's vital for us to educate ourselves and celebrate the, the, the small victories that a relative uh, are able to attain and helping them to make the decisions towards changing their life. If we make the change, they, they don't need to change. Right. So just, you know, forcibly uh, getting rid of the stuff really doesn't solve the problem at all. It just sort of postpones it for a short amount of time and creates a lot of stress. How then, how then do you go about treating somebody who is a compulsive hoarder? What kind of treatment uh, would be appropriate there? Interestingly enough, we've spoken over the past few weeks, uh, I'm not sure what you people spoke about last week, but over the past few weeks we've spoken about the Depression Recovery Program. The Nettie Depression Anxiety Recovery Program is one of the programs that will, in actual fact, 
help uh, to address part of the uh, hoarding compulsion um, where it focuses on identity and uh, helping people to deal with some of the underlying causative issues. But they actually need, it is a serious disorder that needs psychiatric treatment where, um, because it's, it's a obsessive compulsive um, a disorder that we're dealing with. So it is in line with people that uh, would go and wash their hands 100, 110 times a day, would not step on a line because, uh, you know, a crack uh, or, you know, because that might cause someone in the family some harm. Um, it is a serious disorder that need professional uh, support. So a family member that uh, can in actual fact help such a person by helping them to understand that what they are going through is not normal and therefore support them in going to access, to, to access um, help and even to attend with them a professional person that can help them uh, to deal with these issues. With somebody who's a compulsive hoarder, do they recognise, are they able to rationally recognise that they are collecting rubbish and realise that they just can't help doing it? Or do they actually see true value in the rubbish that they are collecting and when that rubbish is removed do they actually feel like that they are being robbed of their wealth it starts off very slowly as hey maybe i can use this later on this might uh, come in useful later on but slowly creeps on you to the point where you do not see it for what it really is where the, where the problem comes in is where the shame starts to set in when people knock on the front door, people want to come and visit and they realize that they've got no more seats available for, for visitors to sit on. Um, they, they can't identify where important documents or items are. Uh, that is when they realize that there's a problem, but the problem is not really perceived the way that you and I see it. Uh, they are completely blinded by it. And that's why when someone comes in, a well-meaning relative, and says, I've come, I'm going to help you clean up today, and they start to throw the trash away, they actually experience that part of their identity is discarded and that that individual has no respect for them and doesn't care about them. They actually mingling in and removing um, something that is so precious for them. It is as if a relative or a, a, a good friend dies when they lose that stuff. Mm. You've talked about the depression recovery program many times and it is just an outstanding program. Would this be a place where is, – is this kind of the place to start by dealing with you know, depression and anxiety in relationship to this or is this something that would come further down the track after having had uh, some previous psychological treatment? It can be a starting point, but remember that the Depression Anxiety Recovery Program is not a therapeutic program. It is a mental health 
education program, but it will put structure around them, which will actually benefit them when they later go and see a professional. Um, or they can start off with a professional, or they can simultaneously see a professional as well as attend the depression anxiety recovery program. That program will actually help them in different phases of their life, but it will give them a structure. It will open up their frontal lobe, which is vital for them to understand what they're going through and help them, therefore, to uh, put structure in place for them. One thing that we've spoken about in the past is the value that there is in light, sunlight, being in a light place, not being in a dark place. The first thing that comes to my mind when I see you know, when just doing this interview and thinking back through images that I have seen of people who have been compulsive hoarders and they basically just have a network of tunnels running through their home, mm. is that these people are living in a very dark environment. I recall a, uh, a specific case, uh, not in Australia, in my original my country of origin, where I was standing in the Department of Health office, head office, regional head office, when a call came in of an elderly couple that was uh, at the point of committing suicide. And the head of the department asked if I would uh, go in with my team to see what we could do. When I got there, there was no sunlight that, that came in. It was a dark environment. When we eventually started to help that couple clean up, we not only helped them to remove and repack and sort out their stuff with their help, but we we cleaned the windows. We took the curtains down, washed it, and for the first time, when we brought them into a cleaned-up house where we washed everything, for the first time, they, they could see the color of the walls. Um, when the sunlight brought in, they thought they were in a different home. Sunlight is a powerful source towards healing. It also helps to, to for your body to generate it neurotransmitters that is crucial towards their recovery and uh, is vital for this group. And uh, part of the treatment for, for these people is really uh, to take them out into the sunlight because they would not have seen it for quite a while. Mm, fantastic. Thank you, David, so much for sharing us with this, sharing with us this morning about the problem of hoarding. And I know for myself, even though I'm not a compulsive hoarder by any stretch of the imagination, just getting rid of some stuff over a period of time it was a cleansing process. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for... Question of the day. Okie dokie. So the question today is where um, in... Okay, when, when Solomon, Solomon builds the temple... He builds a temple because David wants to build the temple and God says, no, you can't do it, but one of your descendants will. Is this talking about a prophecy to do with Jesus at all? Is there any connection? Is there any dual application to Solomon building it but also looking to Jesus? Yeah, and there's a little bit of a question there as to whether or not um, uh, the building of the temple was actually God's will or whether it was something that he allowed. Yes. And whether it was Solomon who had been... Instruct whether God had said that Solomon should build it or whether God allowed Solomon to build yes. it. Yes. Okay, so we're going to start by, by, by delving into that a little bit. So we're going to go to First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. 
and we're going to read the story about where David talks about how that he wanted to build it, but God said no. So in verse 2, David stood on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, my people, as for me, I had it in my heart to build a house for rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. So it's like, this was, this was what I was going to do. I was going to build a temple for God. For the ark, but God said to me, "You shall not build a house for a house in my name, because you have been a man of war and a man of blood." Mm-hmm. So he's like, "No, how about the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever? He has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over Israel." So God's put me in this position. And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom for the Lord, of the Lord, over Israel. And so here the Bible very, very clearly says that it was God who chose Solomon. Mm -hmm. So God told David, you can't build the temple, but the Bible says that God chose Solomon to be king. Yes. Out of all of the sons, that was the one that God chose. And he, that's God, said unto me, Solomon, your son, so this is God speaking, Solomon, your son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son. I will be his father. So the Bible very, very clearly and unequivocally states that God told Solomon to build the temple. This was not something that was allowed. This was something that was directed by God. Okay, if you then go over to uh, Second Chronicles chapter 6, you're going to find the dedicatory prayer of the temple. So they built mm. the temple, they finished it, they moved the Ark of the Covenant in there. Solomon prays a prayer of dedication over the temple. And the Bible says in chapter 7 and verse 1, When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord, that's the Shekinah glory, filled the house. Mm. Okay, so God told Solomon to build it. Solomon built it and then God honoured what Solomon had done by sending fire from heaven onto the sacrifice and filling the most holy place with the Shekinah glory where the Ark of the Covenant rested. That's the last that's the last reference anywhere into the Bible to the actual existence of the Ark of the Covenant or the, the presence of the Shekinah glory. Mm, mm. Because it wasn't long after this before Judah went into apostasy. So there's a little bit of a few thoughts there. When you look at the temple that was built in the wilderness, it was an incredibly beautiful and glorious structure. But it was a transportable temple. Yes. What is interesting if you look at the temple is where all the gold was. It was inside. All the gold was in the inside. Mm. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Where should all the gold be? Inside. On the inside. <laughs> doesn't matter what's on the outside. It matters what's on the inside. Let's have the gold of the righteousness of Christ on the inside of our lives. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.